Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Swish Waterland Podcast. For those who are new to the podcast, Swish is an awesome platform which gives you the opportunity to get a video message from some of your favourite sports stars. It is the perfect gift idea and is very, very affordable. And for the listeners in the UK, in particular London Irish fans who have come on to listen to today's guest, there is a great London Irish lad on Swish and Ben Loder, one of the great lads, and a whole heap of other stars from all around the world. It's been awesome hearing from people who have given it a go, loved what they received back from their sports star. And the best thing about it all is that a large portion of the proceeds do go to Kiwi Kids Charities. And don't forget there is a 10% discount for all Waterlad listeners who use the code WATERLAD. I'll leave a link in the description below so you just need to click on that. Also Pure Sport, who are the most tested and trusted CBD oil on the planet, are kindly offering 20% off all their products with the discount code WATERLAD20 so that all of the listeners can be safe from any muscle or joint pain they may have without chewing back some harsh anti-inflammatories. They also have oils specific for your sleep, energy and immunity, distress and calm, or even maybe just your focus. If you're after help in any of those areas, then this is a great place to start. Trust me. Righto, let's get to it. Roll the intro. Oh, what a lad. Well, today I'm honoured to be in the presence of a reality TV star who has recently been on the hit show, The Apprentice. But before he was a TV star, he was an Irish rugby god playing age-grade rugby for Ireland before being picked up by Leinster, and he then moved to London Irish where he became a club legend there. And as well as all that, he is one of the most energetic and best lads to be around you will ever meet. It is the great Connor Gilson, and welcome, mate. Jimmy, what an intro. Thank you so much. Um, I need to bring you around to all my networking events and pick me up like that. <laughs> so, so good to be here. I, I genuinely feel like I've got imposter syndrome because you've just had a long list of of all blacks on the show and <laughs> you've just pulled me out of nowhere. Just like this, this absolute... Um, this rogue trump card but look i'm looking forward to, to sharing a few stories with you mate you're one of the biggest lads i played with so i can't wait to get into this one great good stuff but mate life post-starring at the apprentice what's that been like for you it's actually been really good uh, it's been a, a whirlwind of emotions i i went in there expecting a lot from it um and incorrectly so i expected too much <laughs> ended up getting dumped out after two weeks <laughs> So I was pretty aggrieved after that. Um, like I took I took twelve weeks holidays, unpaid holidays to go do this thing. So I thought I was going to be in for the long haul. I bought five new suits. I only got to wear three of them. Um, so I was I was seeded when I came out for like six weeks. I just wanted to talk to Long Sugar and be like, "You made the wrong call." And then I got over that. And then Christmas kind of came round, and you know the people who knew about it. Or like, how are you feeling about it? And I started getting quite anxious. I was like, Geez, I don't know how I'm going to be perceived here. I've just started a new job. They could make me out to be something I'm not. Yeah. So that was quite nervy times. And then when it came out and the week build up to it, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I was, get, I was getting ribbed from all that. I was loving the line, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, we didn't get it here over in New Zealand, which was a bit of a shame. But, mate, I was as shocked as anyone to see that you were out second round. What, what actually happened? 
<laughs> okay. What happened? Um, so first task kind of like played it safe. And it was it was chaos. It was total chaos. Eight guys from to- all different backgrounds with very strong personalities, and you're thrown together to do this, you know, bordering on impossible task. Create a marketing campaign for yeah. a cruise liner in 24 hours, and then present it to all these experts. So you're just like it was just a minefield of of things that could go wrong, and we we tripped on every everything we could have gone wrong on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I managed to kind of like stare at the firing line, and then I was like, you know what? I'm feeling confident after that first round. Um, I'm going to take ownership of this and put myself forward as one of the leaders of the team. And we created this kids' toothbrush. And basically, what happens is that seven guys came together. We the leader pitched this vision, and I looked after one team, and he looked after the other team. And you go away for the day, and then the next day you present what you built. So I built. Um, an app for a kid's toothbrush and he went and built the toothbrush yeah and the team that we went for was like a, a magical brushing wand and it was like I, I quite liked the concept i thought the kids would buy into it it was easy to follow and he went off and created a product and the, pro- the colors they went for were brown and this is something that like sits in the loo um, and it's, <laughs> it kind of resembles the shape of the third and then i went away and built an app and the wizard i call whiffy the wizard <laughs> Um we, we pitched we pitched it to Super Drunk the next day and the guy was like, Did it ever cross your mind you've created a product that looks like a turd and you've called it Whiffy and I'm going, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> so and this is like like five million people watch this show on a daily basis and then it goes right up to like nine um when they do the on demand stuff. Yeah. So a lot of people watch the show and you're going, I can't believe this is happening. I look so silly. <laughs> but I, I probably, to be totally honest, I probably shouldn't have been fired. But yeah, these things happen. And so it was, it was a really good fun, great experience. And I'm glad I did it. And it's actually been really good for the for the business that I've set up with Topsy, yeah. um, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Yeah. And how set up is it on the on the set? Is it all pretty staged or is it like it looks? Um, it's definitely not staged. Like yeah. everything you're seeing is real. It's just... You're just getting pulled in a lot of different directions, and you are quite restricted in what you can do. Like I can't say too much, um, mm. but it's it's it put it this way: it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah, um, on TV you're going like because you're making these decisions as the day progresses, and you're submitting your answers, and then if something doesn't really make sense as the day goes on, it's very difficult to go back and change it. And then you've got to get so much done throughout the day that like it's very you pretty much can't sense check anything. So like. Of course, you go Whiffy the Wizard, and then the next morning you'd wake up and go, Whiffy's probably not a great name. <laughs> like, um, but like, you, can't, you can't change it, you know what I mean? So, And it makes for great TV. Like It's car crash stuff. And I actually, people are like, it couldn't have been that chaotic. I'm like, the editors have actually been kind in it. Like, It's actually way more chaotic than they look right. and than they make it out to be. Um, and were you happy with the way you were portrayed as an individual? I thought it was fair, yeah. yeah. I was I was really nervous because, you know, they can do whatever they want in the edit. And they were fair. Like, I said some stupid stuff and I got lured into what they're trying to get you to do to play up to the TV. But that's all part of it. You know, like there, was an o- there was an opening scene like when I was the first episode. <laughs> it's a bit of a long-winded story, but I'll probably, it's probably worth telling. <laughs> so basically, um, you kind of have to, like, submit what you're going to wear for uh, the boardroom. Yeah. And you have to stick to that outfit. 
and I showed up. We went to do these entrance shots the week or two week before we went in, and I showed up and um, I like changed my shirt and tie like last minute. I didn't really think it was a big deal. <laughs> we got there and they were like, "Oh, we have to like kind of stick to what you sent across originally." And I was like, "Okay, fine." So we go through to uh, my entrance shot was at Catwick Airport, and we went in and we I went and bought like the shirt and tie that I needed basically. And my glasses were like reflecting badly with the with the cameras, so we needed to like get ones that were like anti glare, and I hadn't gone and done that. So went into sunglasses hut because like I need a clear <laughs> pair of clear lens aviators to just get me through today, and they just sold me a pair, and I was like, sweet, they'll they'll do the job. <laughs> so then go do my shots, and then I went to do this like on screen interview, which was really really hard. It was like an hour of. I'm asking all these questions and they're just looking for sound bites, something yeah. that makes you uh, look a bit ridiculous and it's memorable and it makes for good TV. And you're trying so hard to find a balance between, I want to give them what they want here because you don't want to come across as boring, but equally I don't want this to haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I was just, I remember coming out, I remember like being like, this is so hard, like what have I signed up for here? And I came off, so I came off the set, I took my glasses off and the glasses had like, they'd gone tinted and I'm inside and I'm like, what has happened here? So I obviously got one of these glasses that like react to the UV light and then go turn into sunglasses. And I turn around to the cameraman, I'm like, did you know my, my the glasses were, were like tinted there? And he's, He's, uh, he just smiled at me and nodded and I was like, oh God, I hope it doesn't make the edit. And then the first scene um, was me saying something like super cheesy and I'm wearing sunglasses inside and I'm like, you know what, it can't get any worse than this. So it made it made watching the next two episodes like an absolute breeze after that, to be totally honest. Oh, that's good stuff. You spoke about um, sort of regretting going, oh, what made you want to go on at the, in the first place? How did that whole process happen? So I've always like been a massive fan of the show. Yeah. And I was looking at it and being like, I could do a good job of this. Um, I've backed myself to be like quite creative and um, and quite like, good in team environments so i was like i had i've done like quite a few startups and then the experience from rugby all those things i was like i can i can do a good job of this and um when rugby finished i was like given my background and in sport they tend to like have an ex-sports athlete on there they always have an irish person on there so when i was going through the application (laughs) process they were like why should we pick you and i said Listen, you always have a washed-up sports athlete and a token Irish person on the show. You can kill two birds at one stone at me. And uh, I think I think they enjoyed that. But yeah, I just said, look, this is it's a it's a unique, fun experience. I'm at like a bit of a crossroads of my life in terms of transitioning away from the game. I'm not like into the thick of a new career yet, and I was always going to go set up this business with Topsy. So I was like, at the very minimum, it'd be a brilliant life experience. I get some exposure from uh, for the for the three hundred one, and then you know if you go and you win these things, you go really far. Like you've a really good platform to to springboard yourself onto whatever you choose to do after that. Mm. So that was my thinking behind it. I knew the risks associated with it that like you can come across really badly on TV, say the wrong thing that will haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> but overall, it was really short-lived. It was too short-lived for me to do any of that stuff. Like, I didn't even catch everyone's name. <laughs> um, 
and none of that's what's happened. And I, I really, I really enjoyed how it's how it's come out, and I've no regrets. I've no regrets about doing it. Has anything changed for you post the show? It's been good for you know we've had a lot of inquiries for the bar, which is which has been great. Um, it didn't. I didn't lose my job over it, which has been <laughs> nice. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of in a weird way. It's even though it went didn't go well for me, I still like has given me an. I've always had a pip in my step, but like an extra pip in my step. You know, one maybe to kind of prove a point that like I'm very capable, and mm. then yeah, you just kind of feel like you got to go make this happen now, right? You got to like you've gone set up this business. There's probably a little bit more exposure on it than there normally would be, so um, it's on my lap to to make a success of it and to make a success of myself. So mm. it has given me applied a bit of healthy pressure, yeah, and and it's been a brilliant experience. I enjoy I enjoy telling the stories from it. You know me, I I, I love a good war story, <laughs> which has probably been a big part of it. Do people um, recognise you on the and, street? And I, I, I got it. I was I was at a golf weekend with with some friends on Saturday in Hertfordshire, and I had a few people come. One guy comes up to goes, "You're that Irish guy Shane from The Apprentice." I'm like, "Well, you got my name wrong." But yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. I was like, "I'll let you off on that one." Um, given how short I was in there for, so you get a little bit, and then obviously the first game after I got fired, on the Irish played Edinburgh and. It was no. It's normally always topsy getting the attention at the bar, yeah. but like this week, everyone <laughs> the photo at me. <laughs> topsy would have been filthy. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, he loves the limelight, Topsy, but he's he's getting lots of it, man. He is he's crushing it in TV stuff over here at the minute. Um, every time I look at my screen, if it's on BBC, ITV. BT, he's always there. I'm like, I can't get a hold of you to have a chat about the bar. <laughs> You're too busy on TV all the time. No, that's awesome. He's doing well. I can't believe you're a reality TV star. How good is that? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but before we get too far into it, I I do hear plenty of stories about how guys grew up in New Zealand. I sort of know that lifestyle, but. First Irish local, I'm really looking forward to hearing what it's like for you growing up in Ireland. That's awesome. Um, an honour to be. It's the first Irish person you've had on the pod. Local. I mean, we've had Jamison Gibson Park, who's now fully Irish, but um, a few others. <laughs> but you're the first born and bred. Oh, awesome. That's that's really cool. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a, in a rural town called Mullingar, which is like an hour west of, of Dublin when I'm describing it to... The people from from New Zealand who maybe um, aren't familiar with geography, I'm always like, if you threw if you threw a dart at uh, if Ireland was a dartboard and you threw a dart at it, where Bullingar is at Bullseye, so it's it's one yep. of the rainiest towns in Ireland. Um, it's got about twenty thousand or twenty five thousand people living there. Um, yeah, I, I had a really really fond memories growing up there. I grew up in a an entrepreneurial household. My mum and my parents were are undertakers and and publicans. Oh, so. Sure. They were they were busy juggling two businesses um, growing up, and that's kind of the crux of it. I played a lot of sport growing up, um, like Gaelic football, hurling, soccer, rugby, swimming, tennis. Um, like a lot of parents are, they're kind of busy doing taxi to all these things. And then when I was when I was twelve years old, I, I shot off to boarding school, but always kept in, in close contact with Mullingar. And I still, my parents still have the pub, still have the Undertaker business. Um, and I'm still very close with a lot of my friends from there. And actually, there's a lot of them who who live over here and 
in in London with me now. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I, where I'm from, mate. I know you mentioned your friend, and I'm surprised we've got this far without you talking about him. But you're good, mate, Niall. <laughs> who will be uh, <laughs> who will be familiar to a lot of our listeners um uh, when were you guys friends from what age yeah since we were about nine or ten i would say uh, maybe even a little bit younger than that but we both grew up in mullingar um kind of in the same friendship groups played a bit of sport together and then yeah he went on to do some literally like took over the world um, yeah. which was which is awesome to see such a cool thing for someone from mullingar to achieve such scary heights of success um pretty inspiring for a lot of people i think you know there are some there are a lot of good musicians from mullingar um none i've managed to get to the heights he have and i'm not sure anyone if anyone will ever replicate it because they're they're pretty unprecedented but yeah he, he left to do the x factor when he was about 15 or 16 and i actually remember was he only uh, 15 15 or 16 Holy. yeah he left school when he was 16 but me, one of my best friends, uh, Stephen Devine, and Niall, we went to watch Westmead play in Crow Park. So Westmead is the county that I'm from, and we played Gaelic football, and I think they were playing loud or something. It was like a nothing game. We went to watch that, and then he, he was going off. He was going back there the next day to do the odd, X Factor auditions, and I remember being like, oh, best of luck with that tomorrow <laughs> kind of thing. Not really, not really like thinking much would come of it. Like He was always so passionate about about music and was always doing like the gigs and stuff in town and was really popular like locally but next thing i heard he was like at the judges houses and um and then they went on this this crazy run and became the biggest boy band maybe the world has ever seen like i remember watching the beatles movie with him was it the, the beatles or oasis or one of those like you're watching it all happen and he's, he's kind of sitting there silently watching it going how cool is that and i'm like you done that. <laughs> that you lived that life for a few years. Um, but yeah, he, he was great when I moved over to London originally. He, I didn't really know many Irish people over here. You know, there's an army of us here now. But mm. he took me under his wing, brought me to some really, really cool events and uh, introduced me to a lot of people and really helped me find my feet. Mm. Did his success in a reality TV show sort of make you want to do this apprentice show even more was that any part of it no nah. no, no. <laughs> nothing to do with that at all but uh the thing is the apprentices right like like nobody really gets famous from it it's yeah. it, it's it's a some people do really well in business off the back of it but it's it was described really well to me and lead up to it they were like if this is what you're going on here to do you've got the wrong show um the attraction is is the show and people love the show they don't necessarily attach to the people that come off it and mm. um, that go on to it and come off the other end of it and, and that is true because like those viewership numbers like five million people watched it um four and like week one and two and i think went up to five and week three and like you look at the people who are are on the, have been on the show like their instagram followers are like, i don't think anyone's over like Ten thousand or that, so yeah. it's not translating into their, each individual's personal brand per mm. se. The people, certain people who will go far will do well off it, um, and then it's up to everyone else, the people who too crashed out early, to, <laughs> to make a good fist of it themselves. <laughs> and by all accounts, you were a really good choir singer as well. Did you ever think about going to the expected with him? No, no, <laughs> I, I, I haven't got a note in my head. But <laughs> <laughs> you were a choir singer, though, right? 
Yeah, how do you know that? <laughs> that question came in a lot. Apparently, you were a wizard. No, um, I, I used to, when I was in primary school, I was in the choir, but I wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't very good. I enjoy, I enjoy a good sing song and a few drinks on me, but that's about the height of it. Okay, but anyway, we'll go back to your, you. You mentioned you were really good at a lot of sports. Why rugby and why not the Gaelic football path? Um, when I was growing up, I think I kind of preferred Gaelic football and I was probably better at it as well. Um, I played for my local team called Mullingar Shamrocks and had some unbelievable memories with, with a bunch of guys that I went through the age group there. We won everything. We went, we won the county championships. Um, there's this tournament called the, uh, the Fela mm. and, um, one representative from each county goes to play in this like blitz over three or four days um and it's in a, in like a small town in ireland and they turn it into like a massive festival and you get like you're 14 years old and you get these massive crowds at these games and you're representing your county and it's it's very very prestigious so we we got to the, the fela but we didn't manage to win it um and then we won like all the the county level stuff growing up 14 16 minor level and I was loving my football, but I went to Clongos, went to boarding school when I was 13, and it's just like a, a rugby crazy school, and you just get drawn in from it. Like again, yeah. the, I don't know if the guys have any of the Irish guys have been have spoken about it on your pod, but it, it's crazy the level of professionalism and the attention that the tournaments get, and it's difficult not to get drawn in by it, and. and yeah, you just get you get drawn into rugby when when you're in a school like Clongos and we had a really, really good batch of of guys in, in our age group and we were really successful so then we won everything. We won Junior Cup trophy, which is the first time our school had won it in like fifty six years. And then when I got to the senior cup level we won it two years consecutively. And anyone who's from um from Ireland and like played in that tournament, that's really, really hard to do. Mm. So off the back of that, a lot of us got opportunities to go into academies and represent Ireland at age grade level. And when that's knocking on your door, um, you just you're obviously going to say yes, and you're going to get drawn towards that because it's offering you a career path. Um, so that's it was that was where the decision came from. I've always kind of like been tempted to go back playing Gaelic, but I'm not sure. I had to stop because of my head, so I'm not sure if it allowed me to do that. Yeah, so that, that that's how it kind of all came about. Um, Choosing, choosing rugby over over Gaelic, mm. and then you made the Irish junior national sides all the way through, didn't you? So you were a quality player from a young age. Um, yeah, well, thanks for the kind words. <laughs> I don't really have to take those things. <laughs> I, well, I, well, that's that's a nice way to put it. When when I'm knocking around with my, my school friends, they were like, "You <laughs> you, you you peaked when you were 18. <laughs> it all went downhill from there." <laughs> which pretty pretty true to be totally honest it all happened for me quite quickly <laughs> i was like winning everything in school like played for ireland under 18 and then we got the captain ireland under 19 then went to the 20s world cup and it was that was all happening and then yeah um i didn't really manage to kick on from there to be totally honest so from that you went into the leinster environment didn't you yeah and what was that like um, that was unbelievable. Like, it's such a it's such a good place to learn. 
Um, it's such a good club, and they've got such a conveyor belt of talent coming through, and it's such a the academy. Everything about it is just top top level. And I'd come out of school. I'd spent my whole all my school years like supporting Leinster. I was a diehard fan. I was over at uh, Murrayfield when they won the first Heineken Cup. Not sure against Leicester, and I actually I, I actually ran onto the pitch after the game. I was like the first person on the pitch. <laughs> I remember. I was like, I was weaving in and out of these uh, these security guards, and they could not catch me. And there was like people like jump. I was like getting a real rise out of the crowd. And then this one guy got my shoe in the dead ball line. I was kind of going for, um, I was going to get out and try and get back in the crowd, and got me. And then some guy came from behind me and stuffed me in the back, and that got like a rapturous. Um, rapturous response to the crowd and then they pretty much like arrested me and like took me into their security room and they were like you're in a lot of trouble son um i was only 16 at the time. <laughs> i was like oh here we go this is a disaster my dad's gonna be so stressed i went with my dad and um i was like they were like yeah they're taking this really seriously this year you're in a lot of trouble you're gonna be spending a night in the clink and i was God, I've never been in trouble with the police before. This yeah. is a disaster. <laughs> and then as as time went on, just more and more people, like Leinster fans, started piling into this security room and they were all pissed off <laughs> and singing Molly Malone. And it just got too much for them. They were like, just get out, get out. Like, you're getting away with this one. And it was funny. I got out and I rang my dad. And he was like, Connor, Connor. I have a solicitor here. We're looking after you. And I was like, don't worry, Dad. I'm off the hook. Um, so, yeah, I, I get, I, I'm getting sidetracked there. But I, well, basically, I was like a massive fan of Leinster growing up. So then to go into this environment and on the first day, you're like shaking hands with, with Brian O'Driscoll and Leo Cullen and, oh. and Shane Horgan and these guys. And they're introducing themselves by their first name. And you're like, you really don't need to do that. I know exactly who you are. You were a massive fan I of O'Driscoll, eh? Oh, I loved him. Yeah, he was uh, all, all like O'Driscoll, O'Connell, O'Brien, Gordon Darcy, Rob Carney, all that generation, like they were proper role models for me. Mm. Um, so to be like rubbing shoulders with these guys, even though like it was, I was in the academy, but you were, you were working in the same place as them every day and getting mm. to see how they do things and, all very approachable people as well, like very happy to help you learn. So that was so cool and super inspiring. And you just like, you just want to get there. Like it's just every day you're just trying to get better and trying to prove that like you're, you're capable of making the step up to the first team. Um, and you've got all the tools at your disposal there to do it. Unfortunately that didn't, didn't materialize for me for multiple different reasons, but I had a I had a really good time there, and I learned a lot there, and it definitely stood me in good stead for the rest of my career. Mm. What were those reasons you didn't manage to get a crack with them? Um, I went from school like straight into the academy with some really really good, like class players. I went in that year with with Ty Byrne, Luke McGrath, and Ty Furlong, and James Tracy. Like all these guys have gone on to play for the Lions internationally and. Had amazing careers, and we had a really good batch of guys, and they were all kind of like my Irish twenties age group as well. I'm forgetting loads of guys there as well, so mm. apologies to anyone there <laughs> in case they're listening. But we, yeah, we went in there, and our first year was was pretty positive for me. I, I played most of my rugby with the Irish twenties, and 
we had a good run in the Six Nations. We won our first four games and we were on for a Grand Slam against England and kind of didn't go well for us in that last game. We we got hockeyed in England, which was pretty disappointing, but we're, we're really good throughout the tournament. And then we got to the, the 20s World Cup that year and was down in South Africa and we played the host and we beat them. And they were like really heavily fancied and we were like, right, this is on. So we played England the next game and we were like 14 now up. Yeah, ended up losing that game, and I I went off injured from a syndesmosis and mm. I fractured my ankle as well. So that tournament was over, and I missed preseason. And one of my biggest struggles throughout my whole career was like putting on size. Um, I played in the back row, and I'm not naturally like a, a well built unit. Like <laughs> for sure, like I'm down to like 88, 90 kilos now. Welcome to the club. Crazy, but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my second year in the academy, I played pretty much for my played for my WCD and played with the A team at the time. We won our tournament that year. It was called the British and Irish Cup, which was uh, the first time we'd done it, and that was a great achievement. Um, I'd done all right with UCD, but I hadn't managed to get any any game time. I wasn't really even close to it in retrospect. Getting game time mm. in my second year. So then you like really need to start making inroads in your career. You need to start showing that you're up to playing men's being You're capable of putting pressure on the guys who are ahead of me. There was a really good bunch of like all of them were international back rowers. Mm. Um, but I still like was like if I just get like my foot in the door, I can go in there, I can compete, and start start at my third year in the academy, and it, it went pretty well. Like I had a, a good preseason. I was training with the first team, um, and then I, I got injured. Again, yeah, because it's kind of like this. This narrative repeats itself quite a lot as, yeah. as this goes on. But I got injured again, and a good opportunity. Once I got fit, a really good opportunity came about where I had the opportunity to go down to Connacht and, and play first team rugby, play like Heineken Cup or Champions Cup rugby because they had an injury crisis at open side. And the arrangement was that I go down there and do that, but on the pretense that I signed for Leinster the following season on a development contract and mm. I was like jackpot I'm going to go down here I'm going to get like first team rugby um, top tier of European rugby I'm coming back to the club I love um, and I'll come back a better player and like yeah. a more capable of challenging for lots of the guys ahead of me and and that weekend Jordy Murphy and Shane Jennings both picked up like medium term injuries like one of them broke their hand and the other one hurt their ankle and Matt O'Connor, who was the first team coach at the time, he was like, no, mate, you can't go down. We're going to be short-staffed at open side. And I did push. I was like, this is, like, for my development, this is really good. But he wasn't too fussed. He was just like, nah, you're hanging around. But they were like, look, there's there's still going to be a development contract there for you uh, for next season. So just, like, keep progressing the way you're doing. And we'll get that sorted. And then I just, like, naively just didn't go about getting that signed I just kind of assumed it would be there and like all things happen in rugby like things change and I, I picked up a, a more significant injury I had to get a knee operation a few weeks later and then that contract wasn't there for me once I got back fit wow yeah it's kind of felt like you, you were on the cusp of really like breaking in and um, on the Irish scene and then once you get your once you get going in there like they're very much like New Zealand they're about promoting and holding on to homegrown talent so yeah, that like in retrospect, had that a, you know, if that had happened, maybe gone down, got first team exposure, and then came back to Leinster, things might have been a little bit different. But that didn't play out that way. 
and then that's when I, you know, the opportunity came to go to London Irish, and I just jumped at it. I was like, "This is awesome!" Playing Premiership rugby, go with the with the connection to the Irish roots, and I'm moving to London as a 21 year old. You know, it's in terms of a new challenge and an exciting challenge. Mm. You don't go much better than that. And how did you find the London lifestyle? Loved it, but, <laughs> and I still do love it. I'm a big believer that when you get you get bored of London, you get bored of life. It's it's got so much going on. I've I've really thrown myself into the deep end here since I've arrived. It's just such a buzzing city, and there's so much opportunity here. And yeah, it's 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 been great. Um, and I, I am lucky, like the coming over and London Irish is a really well supported club, and the people who are attached to it like want to see you do well. Be mm. you know at London Irish but also off the pitch as well and you meet a lot of great people off the pitch as a result of the connection you have to the club um, Yeah. so I've been pretty good at like putting myself out there and trying to make the most of that connection and make the most of the opportunities that London has and I've, I've loved every minute of it so far so much so that I managed to get Megan to move over with me because we were when I was in Dublin we dated and yeah it's kind of done two years of long distance um, and then managed to get her to come over and, and she loves it as well. So, yeah, we're, we're very happily set up here at the moment and don't see it changing anytime soon. Mate, love that. And your name's popped up a few times on other guys' podcasts. I mean, Jeb talked about you constantly having infections, which probably cost your London Irish career um, progressing much further than it did. Talk to me about these infections that you constantly <laughs> had. <laughs> Honestly, I never got another pre-jab and post-jab i never had an infection so i was just living in a cesspool of jeb's mess and he was immune to it like it's his bacteria so i i was suffering i was going back into this cesspit of of jeb bacteria and i was getting all these sorts of it was like knee infection and any sort of wound i had it just seemed to go it seemed to go south on me um, <laughs> but I, I, had some, I had some great housemates when I was in Irish when I first moved over um, I, I was I was put into the academy house with the guy called Ross Neal oh. who's playing in the States at the moment with the Seattle Seawolves and he had just moved out of school like I just moved out of home and this is his first time living like looking after himself and that was I, I, I felt like his mother. I was like, <laughs> teach him how to cook, teach him how to clean up. Like everything was uh, back to basics. So that that was a fun experience, and he was a, he was a really fun fun guy to live. Never forget. Like, did you ever hear like foxes having sex at night and the noise they make? <laughs> yeah, only when I was over in um, London. Yeah, so it's like one of the most like harrowing noises ever. You're like someone's been murdered outside i need to go check what's going on here and i need to go out and check is everything okay and um everything looked fine so like went into the physio room the next day and explained this to tom gallagher the physio he's like mate it's foxes like having sex and i'm like all right okay that's fine but then it kept happening i couldn't sleep with it and i was like back, back into the physio room like any ideas how to stop the foxes having sex outside my window but, like you need to make sure there's like no food outside that's how to ask them so i was like you know made sure the the back garden was spotless before i go to bed every night it kept happening and one night i came down at like midnight to 
fill up my water bottle or something and Ross Neil's outside with a plane and a knife and he's like <laughs> shoveling all his food onto the floor I'm like what the hell are you doing he's like I'm feeding the foxes <laughs> I'm like man, I haven't been able to sleep for like the last two weeks I'm like you fucking stop doing that I, I never really managed to get to the bottom. He played dumb that like he didn't really know what was going on, but I'm pretty sure he was just fucking with me. So he was a fun guy. Like my first week, first week living with him, getting to grips with each other, and it was like three of us in the top bedroom. Jared Ellis was the other, our top floor. There was one bathroom shared between us, and I went into the bathroom like unannounced, and Ross is there brushing his teeth, Starker's naked. Um, looking in the mirror and I was like alright and I looked down and I was like oh, holy shit it's like, <laughs> this thing was enormous <laughs> I was like like look back up at him and he goes yeah mate I'm known for that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like that story got around the, the senior change room quite quickly and he, he's built he's built a bit of a reputation for himself at London Irish and every other club he's been to Wasp Saracens I'm sure the Seattle Seawolves lads take the same, talk the same in the same breath about it it's kind of one of these things you see it once you'll never forget it the first time you meet Ross well, Neal's pace yeah, yeah you'll never forget it um, he was a first housemate London Irish then I moved in with Jeb and we could almost dedicate a whole second episode to <laughs> living with Jeb. <laughs> you want a character. You do, you do, like the stories do get repetitive, but the, fir- the first year living with him was just, I'd cramp some of my stomach every night listening to all these stories. And then the second year, he's like, I remember back in 09 when I was on tour with Canada. I was like, Jeb, you told me this story last week. <laughs> Me and Hernie, man, we were hacking darts out the hotel window. <laughs> uh, and I was drinking with Cudmore, and I was like, oh, man, you told me this story a hundred times. So that was good. We had really good fun living together there. And then I moved in with Steely, and he was just the best housemate ever. Like, I think he's he's had quite a few different, like, housemates through rugby and like, I think everyone just would speak so highly of him mm. got himself in some sticky situations <laughs> on the piss which he's digressed on this podcast I don't want to repeat any of the stories <laughs> literally some sticky situations and then some sticky situations <laughs> with uh, with the repercussions of them but he, he was awesome as well we had, we had a lot of fun living together and and yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed cleaning up the pieces that he left he left for me sometimes. <laughs> Mate, must have always been entertaining living with both of those guys. So good. Like Steely is always the most popular guy in the change room. So mm. like it just it was always so busy. We always had guys around watching football and the rub, rugby on Friday nights and after parties and all the rest, it was always the destination. And luckily, the, the the couple that we had living downstairs were like quite a bit older. Than us. So we moved in. We're like, geez, we don't really know what the goal here is. And then 
the guy Pierce is like a DJ. So like, he'd, be, <laughs> he'd be constantly throwing house parties and like DJ in midweek. And we obviously wouldn't kick up sticks when you we were stacking up brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of times like midweek, he'd like come knocking on the door. He'd be like, oh, mate, he's like, I'm so sorry about last night. Like, got a bit of hand. We're like, don't worry, we'll get you back. <laughs> so we had... We had some good fun. And actually, one, su- one summer, we had like a festival on in Victoria Park in, in London. And, and we had like, we had about 40 people in this in the apartment. <laughs> and Pierce got brought the, the, the decks outside and threw like a bag at house party. We went to the festival, came back at like one o'clock and he got the decks out again. And we went right through till five or six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Literally the neighbor of dreams. Like, it was so much fun. Um, um, we lived on the same road as Brendan McKibben. Right. Was one of the, like, I love the podcast he did with you. And he was another person who was just like the glue in the changing room all the time he was there. So we had a good little drinking crew. And then uh, Greg Tonks was like one row <laughs> down from us as well. It was, a, it was a collection of lads, as you would say. And we, we had a lot of fun. And one of my favorite memories kind of from my time in London Irish is we used to do pre-match meal the night before every game. Mm we cook a massive spag ball like an obscene amount of food and then we have a massive dessert spread and then we'd watch whatever rugby was on that night and it was just it was it was became like a ritual but the, like the bad thing that came out was like i wasn't in the team every week but i was still <laughs> smashing all these calories <laughs> so i was just like ballooning as like the same as like as many of the other guys who weren't playing week in week out we were just getting bigger and bigger and robbie palmer was like why are your skin folds so like worse aggressively every time we do this? Well, like it, the the penny dropped when we when we when I kind of like we that kind of broke up when a few guys left the club and we stopped doing it. We we're a bit more professional about <laughs> what we we're eating the night before games, and the skin folds were a lot more consistent after that. Oh mate, one of my favourite um, stories with you was uh, heading to the Joseph Parker fight over in Wales. At a sold-out Millennium Stadium, one of the great nights. What do you remember about that one? It really was. I feel. I feel like our we really bonded on that trip, and our relationship went from strength to strength after that. You got me on a bit of a dark path with gambling. It must be said, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I never. I didn't know. I didn't know what a bet was, and then we got into the trotting. We were like, oh man, there's good money to be made in this New Zealand trotting. <laughs> I'm like, right, what do I need to do? You're like, you need to set up a Betfair account. It's like, I'll give you all the tips, 50 on the winnings. Then <laughs> like six weeks later, my account got shut down and I've, I've never managed to get a handle on it ever since. But that, that Joseph Parker um, fight was something else. Um, so I went down with a bunch of friends from from home, uh, Ty Byrne, Sam Coughlin-Murray, Jamie Davis and Adam Clark and uh, maybe Jordan Coughlin as well. Five guys um, who I played rugby with back in back in Dublin. And Tyg was playing with Scarlets at the time and they were in the European Cup quarter final on the Friday night. Yeah, so we went to watch that on the Friday night and then we're like rolling into to AJ Parker and the Millennium Stadium on Saturday, like the weekend of dreams. Yeah. And we get down we, we get in a taxi into into the stadium and I end up having a massive Barney with one of my mates with, with Jamie I can't even remember what it was about it was something stupid we used to each other's necks all the time we lived together yeah. and um, 
we ended up getting a shoe foot and it was just it just caused a bit of ag walking into the stadium and we got into the stadium and I see you and is it Jamison was there yeah. and um, I'm like right, go over beer with you guys and the lads are like right we're going to go up to our seats and we had bought our tickets that week for like 16 quid a head literally in the last row <laughs> in the corner they were like the worst seats in the house we were just going for the buzz and um, I was like I'm going to stay here, have a drink with the lads, cool off, and I'll, I'll meet you up there. Yeah. <laughs> so you were like, you were made to show up or something. You had like ringside tickets, basically. I think Bank- like, Banksy got upgraded right? to something because we spo- it was supposed to be me, Jamison Gibson Park, and Marty Banks, and Banksy ended up going to an even better seat. He must have been ringside because of his profile, but um, we, we were still in pretty good seats, eh? And, um, <laughs> had that extra one for yeah, you to we jump on. Yeah, we're in the lower tier, like a few rows back. And you were like, come watch a couple of the prelims with us. And I go there, like, watch one of the fights. It's like, you can hear every punch. There's people being chucked out of the ringside seats because there's, like, scrapping going on. It's like box office stuff. And it's like two fights out from the main event. The boys are calling me, and I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm not going up there. So... I turned my phone off and just like, I'm a terrible bloke, but <laughs> I did do the same thing in this situation. And we had the best time. I was on I was on AJ, you were on Parker. Yeah. And we literally, we punched every punch with them. It was a pretty crap fight. It went the distance, didn't it? Went the distance, yeah. And I was surrounded by loads of Kiwis, but it was, it was such good fun. And mm. then the shitstorm, happened when i came out and i turned my phone on i had so many voicemails from the blood lads been like you've changed since you moved to london like you're dead to us you can go sleep with your london irish friends tonight you're not coming back to the apartment i was like oh fuck but then it gets worse actually i think one of either will or you had organized with the um the bouncer and walkabout giving them a heads up that we were coming and the queue was like an hour long and we were walking up and the guys had been spitting venom at me on these messages so I was like well we're just going to have to let that situation cool down until tomorrow (laughs) and we walked straight past the lads in the queue and they're at the back and you can see they're like no fucking way breathe straight into walkabout and then, and then the um, the groveling mess just start coming in, be like, "Oh, sorry, man, come on, let's just forget about that. Come out here and get us in with you." <laughs> so we went back out. It was all hugs and kisses, and uh, it was all forgotten about. But yeah, we're 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 still we're still all best friends, thankfully. But I, I definitely treaded the line on that occasion. <laughs> but one of the great, Good one of times. the great nights. <laughs> oh mate but what I do want to speak about your um, playing career at London Irish as well I mean you did I think you played around 60 odd games not much, not much to talk about Jimmy <laughs> <laughs> why do you reckon why do you reckon your career didn't quite progress like it probably could have or should have because mate every time you played you went well you got stuck into everything you just felt like you never really got the opportunities or badly timed infection <laughs> yeah <laughs> I honestly I don't know. Like, yeah. If I had the answer, I I'd sell it to every other player that um, 
that's trying to break it and none of them could afford it like it'd, <laughs> it'd be the secret recipe there's no I don't there's no silver bullet with these things like I really did think I did everything right I was very committed mm. I was very passionate about what I did I took my job very seriously um, I think I was a good teammate and I was very selfless how I did things so I literally yeah. gave it everything and that's one thing I can take solace in is that like I didn't leave any stone unturned yeah um, but it just didn't happen for me you know it was like it was a couple of times where I kind of broke in like my first season at London like that first season in the academy Irish 20s like sky's the limit couple of setbacks got over to London Irish played 21 times my first season played all the big games after Christmas and then I got a concussion I was out for a little while then I didn't really click with Tom Coventry you know that's just personal preference um, I think that happens to a lot of people in their careers they don't click with coaches yeah and then Kendo and Brendan Venter came in and you joined and um, I got on really well with those guys. They really valued what I brought to the environment. Um, didn't play as much as I would like to in the first season because of EQP stuff and Blair mm-hmm. was ahead of me and, you know, rightfully so. Uh, but I still like captain the side on a few occasions and then the second season was going well. You know, it was kind of in the match day squad for all the start of the season and then I blew my, my AC joint. And that had happened actually under Tom Coventry as well. So I'd done the left one so for a while then kind of the right one went on me and then that season was kind of stop start I did get through the season but I was uh, I was walking wounded I had like a shoulder pad up to my ear I was actually thinking of painting the the shoulder pad I made it was it was brilliant it's it, it done, done a job and I actually was I was making them for other guys in the team who had AC problems as well uh, but yeah and then they, they left the, those coaches left and um, and then Declan came in and yeah, the first season they brought they brought you know for whatever reason they obviously didn't see me as like a an out and out kind of first choice seven and they felt the need to bring TJ and like we were I, I thought we were pretty well stocked and we had Max who was we'd done pretty well the previous season mm. uh, and, and Blair and then but they brought him in and then game time was hard to come by that season um, but I got kept on for another year and then the following year was. Uh, Again, started the season really well, had a good preseason, and and then got a, a knock in the head, and that was that was it. Lights out. It's funny, like I always like showed big promise in preseason because I loved running, yeah. and um, you know I trained like trained really hard, and I'd always look and feel really good going into the season, and kind of typically start of the season I'd be in the mix for for playing a good bit, but. I just wasn't durable. That's the bottom line, and mm. I think there's a there's a lot to be said for people who show up every week, um, can play through injuries and and do it at a reasonably high level. And I just wasn't able to do that consecutively. Um, so while I wasn't flavoured a month with some of the coaches, you know, sometimes I just didn't really even give them the headache that they needed uh, to to put me in the equation all the time. But when I look back at it retrospectively. You know, kind of as a teenager, you you're exposed to the opportunity to play professional rugby, and that's all you want to do. That's your dream job. Yeah, I've done it for nine years. Like mm. it's not bad. It's not. It's not what I set out to do. Like I set out to go and play for Leinster and play for Ireland and win all the stuff that the guys who I went into the academy with have gone on to win. Um, but I still, I, I still had a lot of fun doing it. I, I enjoyed. I loved the process of being a professional rugby player. I was very proud to call myself a professional rugby player. I was very proud to be associated with the clubs I'd done it with and the overriding feelings that I look back and I would like a lot of pride in um, that and how it played out. Mm. And was that head knock that you talked about, was that a career ender? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played against um, against Bayon in November 2019 in a five-man line-out and just a big ball-carrying back row. Just kind of, it was just a big, just ran up, you know, it was a good collision and he just kind of, his shoulder hit me in the temple and uh, it was, I had a pretty clean slate, like I had that concussion when I first moved over to London Irish, but by and large I was pretty good in the lead up to that. Mm. Um, and that just knocked me for six. I was having all sorts of problems that I'd never really encountered before, like balance and mood and headaches and everything else that goes with concussion, like it's pretty well documented, but Touch wood, I'm in a pretty good place with it now. My health is, is really good and I'm, I'm not restricted. Mm. Um, how I go about life on a day-to-day basis, I'm capable of working. Um, I just can't play contact sports. So it's probably a blessing in disguise. <laughs> you know, your body takes enough battering when you play rugby. Uh, so it's just not even, it's not even a possibility. How long did those symptoms last of the concussions and what was that sort of process like to... Uh, announce your retirement and confirm that it was a career ender. So, uh, I I got the knock in November and then I kind of retired August September the following year. And yeah, like you know, when those things happen and you're going through the problems that you're going through, you know, you always kind of in the back of your head, you know, it's a possibility, right? Mm. Like there's it's the same with any big big injury. Like it's there's no gar- like there's no guarantee you'll get back from these things. So, um, I was still pretty optimistic that I turn it around um, and I kind of would like make progress and then try the new stage of the return to play protocol but just kept on stumbling and it would set me back significantly each time but then when they announced it yeah it was a bit of a grieving process but like loads of nice messages and uh, like some of the people that like like I said like I remember all my ex-teammates just saying really nice stuff and like dropping in memories that we had together and that was really nice. Um, and then some of the guys that I looked up to growing up, like dropping the emails and stuff is, was pretty, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was cool. It was a bit, actually it was a weird year to finish. And I think a lot, there's a lot of people in the same boat as me. So I'm not looking for sympathy, but like it was, it was COVID, right? Mm. So it was like, there's no end of season ball. There was, um, it was like not even like a send, a send off piss up or anything like that. There was no, nothing going on at the stadium. So it was a bit, it was a bit, rubbish that way um, but everyone in the world same thing like there's people graduating from college and school and stuff that people weddings cancel so it's like mm. you're not you're not isolated, insulated from that sort of stuff that was how it finished and then I, I, I got a camper van with my girlfriend Meg and I drove around the south coast of France together and nice. she was in between jobs at the time as well and it was just a really nice way to kind of process it all and mm. um, kind of reflect I was actually you know looking back on it going that was that was uh that was fun uh that was you know it was a great experience um now it's time for the next chapter of my life try and map out what what that's going to look like and and then threw myself into like a a startup role in a, in a, te- or a new role in a tech startup in sales because I always felt that that's kind of where my my sweet spot would lie I've uh, done that for a year, really enjoyed it, learned a lot. And then went to do The Apprentice. I was short-lived. And then I actually had a bit of a, like, uh, an ether, kind of like it was Apprentice finished. I kind of booked off what I kind of, like, booked off this time. So I went home and spent some time with my parents, and I wasn't very busy. Uh, I had a lot, too much time to think. And then 
and that was probably actually when the penny like dropped at how much I missed rugby and yeah. um, probably a little bit of a you know you're you're very you're, everyone's made aware that it's transition is really hard mm. and it's a big part of your identity and so many people love doing it um, and I was definitely one of those people but the year that had gone by I was like it's not that bad like I was like I'm still chat to the boys like I don't feel totally removed from it I'm busy um, I spent last summer in a camper van in the south, in the south of France as opposed to a pre-season I was like <laughs> yeah. this is fine um, but then when you pause and you're like I hadn't found exactly what I wanted to do next. Mm-hmm. Like the bar wasn't up and running or I hadn't started this new job and you're like, crap, like what's next? Um, I thought I had all this figured out and like evidently I don't. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a bit crap. But, um, you know, I just dust yourself down and just put yourself out there and go again. And then we got the green light to do the, the 301 from Brentford, London Irish. And then I... You know, six weeks. I think we about six weeks from the day we got to go ahead to the first game we we're going to do, and that was that was brilliant fun. Like me and Topsy, like Del Boy and Rodney, like going around <laughs> trying to get this bar ready. We we're setting up bank accounts, like doing test runs with the the horse box and the Land Rover. The wheel fell off the uh, the horse box, and then we got that up and running. And then I started interviewing for for jobs, and then luckily got got a job with an amazing company called FIS it's like a a fortune 500 company it's in the fintech space so it's a really exciting area to work in that there's there's massive career opportunity in it and yeah I'm I'm busy I'm in a in a really good spot now actually which is which is great is that the dream to go up the tech space rankings yeah why did I pick tech Uh, well my girl like Megan's been in tech sales pretty much whole life and a lot of my friends have and have done really well in it um it always just seemed like a career path that you can get into with doesn't have massive barriers to entry and there's a lot of money to be made in it mm. um if if you're good at it so that was that was the incentive to get in there and at the moment it feels like the right thing i'm starting to i'm starting to speak the lingo uh, i'm starting to get it and i'm well able to chat to people so that, that's half the battle but then there's there are some like a lot of transferables with the discipline and it's very, very important. Like when I played rugby, like I was very good at like going to Pilates and doing my recovery and mm. uh, getting those extra weight sessions in to keep the, the body mass up and you know, all those things are applicable to work but or in sales, but they're just they're slightly different. You know, it's it's industry reading, it's getting your cold calling done, it's it's having good hygiene and where you, in your CRM where you manage all your deals. So there is crossover. It's just figuring out what those transferable skills are. So yeah, and the other thing about it is that like one of the special things about playing professional rugby is you're in a change room in an environment where by and large everyone wants to be there and everyone's made a lot of sacrifices and worked really hard to be there. And it's an elite environment. Like it's everyone is striving for those 1% to get better and that's that's special that's cool it keeps you on your toes um it's like a it's a healthy pressure and from what i've seen so far in fis it's it's by and large just everyone's kind of in the same boat they're just doing it in a different career like mm. an incredibly driven group of people the ones who it's fifty five thousand people right so i haven't met anyone i've been exposed to a handful of people but they're all 
at the top end of what they do and uh, always looking for ways to get better you know as an organization and as individuals so that's cool um and for the 301 bar, what where do you see that that one going? Do you just see it as a side hustle? Do you see that as something that's going to take over the world? Um, it won't take over the world, <laughs> that's that's for sure. Because well, I'd like it to, but it's it's a mobile bar at the end of the day. But um, it, it has the potential to be a really really good business. Mm. So we Topsy and I very fortunate to have the platform that London Irish have given us to start the business, and that's been great. Like. London Irish fans have been so supportive so far. We've had some great days down there. Some really cold days, uh, like doing it in November and the depths of December was was tough. But we're out the other side of that now. Like you're seeing it come up on the Instagram, all the the fans like putting up stories and saying how much they enjoyed it. So that's wicked. Like that's it makes it all worthwhile. And the great thing about having a tenancy at a at a sports stadium is that they play sports in the winter and the high season for these events. Is, is summer mm. and we're we're busy at work at the moment trying to fill that calendar with with sports festivals with um, food and music festivals with booze festivals and you know it's a challenge it is it's very tricky like we've got these opportunities and we're going right topsy's schedule is stacked <laughs> like with tv stuff um i'm working a full-time job that's very demanding um, it's a two-man band and we've got some great staff to help us on game day but we we probably need someone to bridge that gap in terms of like an up op- from an operation standpoint mm. so generate the, we've got the, the demand is there which is reassuring but uh figuring out a bridge or yeah how, like a bridge to get to to be able to satisfy that demand is kind of what we're working through at the moment but it, it is it is a side hustle um and I think it will probably remain that way. Um, but it'll hopefully be a, a lucrative side hustle and one that very importantly keeps us really connected to rugby because, um, you know, Hopsy will stay connected to it regardless because he's a legend. But um, <laughs> I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a nice outlet for me to go there. I said that I was like... There's just like no way this ever would have happened to our top suit. Cause would forget about me like five minutes after I walked out the door. <laughs> well, it does sound like a good bar though, and I'm looking forward to getting over there one day back to the stadium and uh, um, trying out the 301 bar. Jimmy, it'd be epic. One of the things that we're pushing really hard with the club, and they're really supportive of it, is... We want this to be like to to be an outlet for ex players to come back and attach themselves to the club, um, because there have been so many like amazing players that have gone through the club and done great things there, and then it's probably been a little bit of a disconnect in terms of opportunities to come back and mm. really support the club afterwards. And um, so you know, the, what we've trying to do is like each week we have like an ex player club legend come down and like mix with the fans and they get looked after by the club at the game. And it's working really well. Um, the fans love it. The club are really supportive. Of it. We just want to get build that up more and more. So instead of it just being one player coming down to each week, you know, we've got ten ex players coming down. That's the place where they come to connect, yeah. and do business, and um, and stay connected to the game. So that's part. That's all part of the process as well. Mate, that sounds awesome. And 
love seeing players go out there and try their own little side hustles like that. It's awesome to see. But as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions. And, mate, when reality TV stars come on the show, plenty of questions come in, even though you are our first. But first question, ask him about the sweat gate when he was VIP at Wimbledon. Okay, long-winded story um, okay <laughs> so now the message we've been like do you want to go to Wimbledon today it was the first day um, of the tennis and I said absolutely yeah 100% and he goes okay put on something nice like we're we're being looked after and I was like grand I dress fancy here so looked at my wardrobe I had like nothing like nothing appropriate he's <laughs> <laughs> like right got a blazer there white t-shirt pair of chinos I can kind of make that look good Throw all that on, not taking into account for the fact that it's like 33 degrees outside <laughs> and it's humid in London, right? You know what the summers are like here. Yeah. It's hectic. So uh, he's like, right, meet me outside uh, this gate at like this time because we're going in then. He's like, cool, I'll do that. And I jump in a taxi and traffic is chaos getting in there I'm like come drop me outside gate one and he's like look it's just around the corner here gate one is there like, cool so I go, go, to gate, go around the corner and it's like gate 16 and it's like 5 to 12 I'm like shit I look at my phone on Google Maps and it's like a 15 minute walk away I'm like shit I'm like, I don't want to you know I'm a guest so I don't want to cause any hassle like getting in and yeah, all the rest that goes with it so I start like sprinting and I'm running around I'm like actually a nice breeze here like I'm really fit like I don't sweat that much it should be fine <laughs> um, I get there and there we go into this lounge and then it's like just it's like it's sweat like you've never seen before it's just bucketing out of everywhere I'm so uncomfortable it's like dripping out my eyebrows and we had this um, South African hostess and she was like are you okay and she's like I'm a fan trying to cool me down I'm so flustered uh, Niall and Willie uh, our mate were like stitches laughing at me and I'm like right I'm gonna go to the toilet like try and sort this out so I like have myself there like kind of get a handle on it go back down sit on this like leather stool and have a few like cocktails and it's all starting to like regulate my body temperature and I'm feeling good about the day again and I'm like right I've turned this around and then She's like, right, we're going to go out to uh, centre court for the for the game. I jump up and I like walk ahead. She's like, oh my god, Connor, Connor, oh my god, Connor, uh, you want to go to the toilet? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, turn around, the lads are like <laughs> on their hands and knees, pretty much laughing at me. She's like, your bum, your bum, and I was like, I talk about bum. So then I run into the toilet, like check my rear end, and I'm wearing beige chinos and like. <laughs> right from like the top of my ass crack right down to my crotch is just like the worst swamp bars you've ever seen in your life it was humiliating and then Willie comes in and he's like what's the problem I'm like I can't I'm, I'm done I'm going home like this day is just done like I'm not done he's like no no it's fine just tie the, tie the blazer around your waist and grand and then I've done that. I just remember like going out and had like a massive sweat patch here, like two huge ones here. And Niall's walking ahead and he's getting papped and I'm getting caught in the backdrop and he's gone. I just remember like sitting 
watching the game and I was like real like down here trying to like ventilate my heart. I wasn't able to enjoy it at all. I kept saying, I was like, can I just leave? Like, this is so unenjoyable. They wouldn't let me know. I was their, I was their entertainment for the day. Oh, that is so good. What a yarn. Blair Cowan, thanks for sending that one in. He never disappoints. But he's also got another one here. Ask him about the time he yeah. made an outrageous false accusation that Halani kicked him in the head. Ah, oh, yeah, that's a training ground yarn. <laughs> it was like, it's one of those horrible drills here in like a 10 by 10 grid and it's 8 on 8. And it's pick and go and it's just hell. <laughs> it's it's pretty. It's a pretty spicy training session. <laughs> and um, there was a pod set up like a couple of metres away from the breakdown. And uh, Halani went in at half-bash to pop it to them. And like, I should have just let, like, he, Halani was very skillful. I should have just let him pop it to them and get on with them. For some reason, I was like, no, I'm a much, I'm much better passer off the back than Halani. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, pushed Halani out of the way. He was 130 kilo target. And I'm down over the ball and he roots me in the arse as hard as he can and like nearly like sends my testicles into my mouth. Like it was so painful. And I am and I turned around, I was like, you fucking god and I tried to hit him. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like you fucking kicked me in the head. <laughs> kicked me in the head. It was like, we didn't kick you in the arse. So then that, that haunted me for like a year or two. Like, lad, you kicked me in the head. Like, that's all everyone used to say to me. Anytime we went into like that 10v10 drill, the lad got great mileage out of it. Oh, mate, it didn't take much over there, eh? You did one wrong move like that. It's, it sticks forever. <laughs> honestly yeah yeah these things follow you around okay next one uh how much does he love a turtleneck out of 10 i do love a turtle i was actually wearing a turtleneck at work today and i was gonna go straight and wear the turtleneck i was like oh it's a good luck wearing a turtleneck on a rugby <laughs> podcast <laughs> <laughs> so was the, that's why i was a couple of minutes late i was changing my turtleneck <laughs> so kudos to you Gemini. you got me again they're all they're all the go they're all the go in london at the minute i tell you that um he can't pull me like he can't pull me up on fashion stuff anyways he was i used to get called the the worst dresser in the squad all those like quick fire questions but mm. It was Jeb every day of the week, or Jeff Cross, one of those two. Yeah, you had good fashion sense, didn't you? Thanks, mate. You could pull it off. I like that. Okay, next one. What's your favourite Nile song? Um, what's my favourite Nile song? Oh, Slow Hands is his best one. Oh. Or like in terms of like, it's just been an absolute. It's t- another song that's taken over the world. Um, so yeah, that probably be it. Did you prefer him solo or in One Direction? I actually, I think he's an incredible solo artist. Like, mm. I went to see him to play in the Greek in in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, and it was, you know, of course, you have the personal affinity there, but it was definitely the best gig I've ever been to. Mm. Incredible, um, like this outdoor theater. Um, he sold it out, I think, two or three nights in a row. Um, I went to every one of the, I went consecutively <laughs> each night, like. <laughs> But he, he's he's an awesome, awesome artist and really, really good live. 
but I had some great nights at one day as well uh, and the old two uh, but yeah probably slow hands his new album Heartbreak Rider was was class he never got to tour it because because yeah, of covid I mean, which was a, a real shame but it was it was really cool he was like rehearsing in a studio in Wandsworth with band and he invited me and Megan down it was just the two of us sitting on the couch like two meters away from me played the whole set through and it was just like like money can't buy this like, yeah it's just so fucking cool and uh, I was good at firm that he didn't get to tour that, but I think he's writing a new album at the moment. It's going to be good. Nice. You should feature on it. What song did you sing when you did your pedal for London Irish at the front of the bass? So I sang Angels by Robbie Williams. Oh, did you? Uh, <laughs> they didn't get paddled, I, even though like typically you do because it's such a cliche song. I've done a good job of it. <laughs> and then Tom Court got up. Tom Court got up and sang some song, and it was bombing so badly and I being the good teammate that I am I jumped in and tried to help him and then he ended up getting off the pad and I had to go and do it <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised Sometimes you got off you're one of those guys who I'd imagine no matter how well you sang you were getting paddled yeah I did a good job but, Mate, uh, you must have a good voice <laughs> yeah I <laughs> Okay, next one. Ask him about Jebediah's room in Sunbury when he had a scrap with Darren Allison and there was blood everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Daz has like a cauliflower uh, after a game. We there, had a couple of beers uh, in Sunbury. We came back and just me and Daz just ended up, <laughs> ended up like wrestling on the ground. And it, was, it was pretty intense and I ended up ripping his cauliflower open and it just was a mess it was like uh, a crime scene it was like cream carpets <laughs> everywhere it was a total disaster I don't think the lads got their deposit back as a result of it <laughs> oh Dan's he was a lad okay what's the thing you missed most about playing footy so I love like I said earlier I love the process of being a player like the training like the the feeling of just been pushing yourself to the limit and feeling great about it and looking after yourself and that was something i really really enjoyed uh i loved the the camaraderie that came with the team with the changing room mm. and then of course playing games but i don't miss weirdly i don't miss the games that much yeah um i was one of those guys i did get very wound up around games i put a lot of pressure on myself and always incredibly sore after them um so more i I, I probably missed the the training and the lifestyle and the the lads more so the cracker and the change room but that can't last forever right <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. would you would you be the same do you miss the game no you, i don't you... miss the games at all honestly yeah yeah i i just remember you you just used to love the the construct and the attack plan and yeah. the detail we go into and like we were literally like we some of the games we would have lost by like forty points and like we're on the bus home and you'd have the laptop out and be like <laughs> I'd be like, mate, like just put it away, like we've just got home. And I remember there was one game, I think it was Sail Away, and we ran this play where we hit down the middle and I had like a blocking role to play. It was actually it was against Northampton away. And I came on for like ten minutes. And it was a close game. I think we only might have lost by a score. Yeah. And uh, my role was to block the the first defender at the breakdown, so he'd like move away from the breakdown. I kind of step in his line, and then we shoot through. And I miss my role; like I just didn't block him well. Yeah. And the pass went to hand, and then he made the tackle. And like if he didn't, there was no fullback to be seen. Mm. 
And I remember, like, I knew I fucked up. And you were like, Gilly. You're <laughs> 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 like, like <laughs> you reckon? I was like, yeah. No, Jim, I know I fucked up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always just thought I was like, you're just going to go on to be an, an awesome rugby coach. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you're still in the environment. Oh, mate, it's nice to hear. Okay, back to you. <laughs> Next question. Where are Ireland going to finish at the Rugby World Cup? It looks really promising at the moment. They look so good. They just have so many different points of attack. They're so like just very unpredictable about how they do things and move, they move the ball really well. So I just think it looks really, really positive. But we do have a really nasty habit of peaking two years out and then <laughs> not delivering on the big stage. So hopefully Andy Farrell can, can channel this optimism and kind of carry it through and keep getting them, keep making them better between now and uh, between now and the World Cup. Hundred percent. Anyway, it is going to be an awesome World Cup. Looking forward to that one. But last question for the Gilmeister: best piece of advice you have for a water lad listener. I've always been like quite a warrior. Like definitely, when I look back on my time playing rugby, I like overthought. I overthought like everything, mm. and like I get like wound up about small niggly injuries that didn't need to, that didn't deserve as much thinking time and anxiety that I gave them, and worry about like contract situations and yeah, I'd worry about transitioning even though it was miles away, and mm. that it's just wasted energy and. I know it's a hard thing to do, but if I'm starting to get better, I still do overthink things a lot. But I do look at some of my friends that like definitely don't do that, um, and I'm quite envious of it. I'm working towards that at the minute. So yeah, just like try not to dwell on the small things and worry, and really is wasted energy. I know it's impossible to avoid it at times, mm-hmm. but if you come up with some coping strategies or just trying to rationalise what's actually important and what deserves your your time or your energy and worry more often than not most things don't deserve it Um, so that would be yeah just try not worry about things too much and enjoy life while you can right because that's very very important 100% and what a way to finish the podcast some of the best advice we've had on the podcast to date but it has been a pleasure to have you on Um, absolute legend someone I did love playing with over at London Irish we had some good times over there and you're a man who has been involved in a lot of stories that we've had on from some of the lads already so it's been awesome to get you on and hear your side of things and awesome to see what you're doing post footy and hearing how that transition went so mate it's been awesome insight into your journey and really appreciate you coming on the podcast thanks so much Jimmy you are a lad cheers bud bye bye